Y'all, first off, before I get into this, I just want to do something really quick. I want to just get super serious right in the beginning. You know I'm a goofball, but I'm just going to get serious for a second. And just thank you guys for just how loving and inviting you guys have been um, as I've come here, like, to this church. I've only been here for, like, four months, y'all. Um, and, and since I've come here, like, y'all have been so, like, loving and, you know, just invitational in how you've received me, and I, I can't thank you enough. Like, I've been looking for a church home like this for a while, and it's been really awesome to just grow friendships with y'all and just get to know y'all. So, yeah, I can't thank you enough. Um, but in all honesty, though, I thought that this was going to be a lot more awkward and weird than, like, it has been. And honestly, part of that is on me, because I'm a pretty awkward and weird kind of dude, but that's what makes me funny and cool, I guess. I don't know. We'll figure it out. But, um, yeah, going into new places and meeting new people, like, it can be kind of awkward sometimes, right? Like, can we agree with me on that? Like, yeah, like, that's what I was worried about first coming here, you know? Like, I had those, like, first day of school at a new school kind of vibes, you know, the trying to fit in, uh, I'm the new kid, those kind of feelings, you know? Um, You know those feelings where you've like finally got the courage to go and talk to somebody new or to go and talk to that cute blonde Christian girl that's leading that Bible study um, that you got a crush on, you know, shout out Haley Old, or or maybe to those kids that you want to be friends with that are like so cool and they're over there at the lunch table and you think to yourself, worried voice coming in, oh gosh, here I go, man, I I hope they don't think I'm too weird or, hold on, we're just going to, sorry. I, okay, yeah, see, there's the awkwardness coming in. I, my elbow just hit it. Yeah, woo! But th- you get this worried voice, and you're like, oh, man, I hope they don't think I'm too weird. I, I hope they think, like, memes are cool just like I do. Or, or, or maybe maybe they're not weirded out by the fact that I'm pale and have freckles and red hair on my head. You know, those kinds of feelings. Maybe that's just me. Uh, but starting friendships and growing in friendships with people can sometimes feel, like, impossible as we deal with the tension that comes with, like, three things. Like, first off, approaching people um, that we feel invite us into our presence or clearly show us, like, I don't want nothing to deal with y'all. You know, we know those kinds of people, right, where we, they just come around and they're like, mm, you know. Or, or there's the second feeling, this tension of battling our own insecurities that we come into friendships and relationships with, wondering if we're going to be enough for the other person or if that other person, if that other friend will be like that friend in our past that we didn't necessarily get along with or if they'll even care about us. And then there's this tension of building trust in a friendship so that we can learn to rely on others and ask for help even when we're feeling heavy burden. And, and there's a lot. There's a lot in that tension. But it's honestly in that tension that people may even give up on approaching other people to try to make friends because they didn't feel invited into their presence, into relationship, into friendship. Or maybe, and I've been here, they've been let down so many times that they just want to give up on people. They want to give up on trying to pursue friendships. And at the same time, we can also do this with Jesus. We hear in Sunday school growing up that Jesus wants to be our friend, right? That Jesus is this friend of sinners. That Jesus loves us and wants to have a relationship with us. But a lot of the time, we project, right? We take what's inside and we push it outside, what happens to us or what happens in, in the world onto how we see Jesus. We may have heard the Sunday school stories We may have heard or read scripture describing Jesus one way, and we may have heard it all, right? But deep down, we see Jesus, we see God as this like guy in the sky floating on the clouds who's got like a lightning bolt waiting to strike us down at any moment that like we sin, we mess up, we get it wrong, we do that thing again that we've been trying not to do, right? We see him as harsh 
and easily enraged at us. Or maybe we see God as a disappointed father because we hear that a lot in scripture that God is our father. We see him as a disappointed father who's constantly mad at us. Or we see Jesus as a cool guy but maybe not someone to grow in a friendship with, right? We just see him as, oh, he did some cool things. Or we see him as not really loving or wanting friendship because how could there be a good God when all of this is happening? How could there be a good and loving God in the midst of a global pandemic? Maybe you think Jesus doesn't want a relationship with you. Get this, right? Because I've been here. Because maybe you don't see yourself as worthy to be unconditionally loved and invited into a friendship like that. And maybe it's because of how you see yourself or maybe because of the loneliness that you're struggling with inside. And maybe it's because of like how you've seen God as a, a, a friend before. It just hasn't worked out because you've never had friends. Or, or maybe it's been hard for you to see God as a father because your dad wasn't around. Maybe because your dad gave up on you. And the thoughts and questions that you have that I have, like they're so normal and they're so needed and they're helpful for us to actually learn and understand what does it mean to be friends with Jesus? Because you see, there's no prerequisite to engage in friendship with Jesus. Uh, one of our friends uh, that we've been talking about this week, Dane Ortland, it's basically the reason why we named the, the camp Gentle and Lowly. He wrote this book called Gentle and Lowly. And uh, you see, he says this in the book. He says, there's no hoops to jump through for our friendship with Jesus. Guys, there's nothing that you could do to qualify you for the relationship with Jesus other than coming to him with your sin and your burdens. And despite what you may have heard or what you're believing sitting down right now in this room, the truth of the matter is that as a friend, Jesus is the most invitational and accessible friend that you'll ever have in your whole life. In fact, that's the very nature of his heart, and that's what we're going to talk about today. In fact, Jesus reveals to us his heart in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. We've been going through this scripture this week, but this is what Jesus says about his heart. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart, right there in the center of that verse. Fun fact from our friend Dane that I was mentioning earlier, out of 89 chapters of the whole gospel, right, there's one place in scripture where we see Jesus verbally and specifically give us an inside scoop as to what his heart is really like for us to be able to understand it um, apart from just what he's doing in his ministry and just the cool things that he's doing, right? And I know what you're thinking, okay, like that's cute and all, Byron, but like, you know, what does that actually mean? Um, by the way, my name's Brian, but I'll go by Byron too. Like, that's, that's cool. But like, what does this mean? Um, what does it mean when Jesus is describing himself as gentle and lowly? Let's go ahead and unpack that. Let's unpack first gentle, right? The word gentle. Um, you, know, you gotta keep in mind, the Bible, newsflash, was not wrote in English originally. Wow. Um, but it was wrote in Greek, right? In the New Testament, it was wrote in Greek. And so in the Greek, gentle is used three times in the New Testament. The word that we use for gentle is used three times. The first time that we see this Greek word is in the Beatitudes, which is in Matthew again. It's in Matthew chapter 5, 5, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meek is also just a synonym of gentle, but I think there's something that Matthew was trying to get here with that word meek, Right? Um, so we don't really use the word meek a lot. Like some of you are like meek, like what does that mean? Like, oh, I'm feeling so meek right now. Or, or like, yo, dude, that was so meek. You know, like what, what does that even mean? So I, I consulted with a wise philosopher, her name's Siri, and she said, quiet, gentle, and easily imposed on, submissive. And so when you hear meek, some of you may think of 
the word weak, right? Because it rhymes, dropping bars, right? So meek, however, is not weak. In fact, it's the exact opposite. A weak person has no self-control and can't do anything, but a meek person has self-control from the Holy Spirit and practices this self-control humbly by giving up their own will, what they want to do, to pursue God's will. Someone who isn't meek isn't concerned with doing whatever they can do to save themselves, but they humbly submit themselves to God. So let's get into lowly, okay? What does lowly mean? This is another Greek word that's used here, and it, it also translates to humble, okay? So it doesn't necessarily mean like humble as a virtue, like, oh man, you know, look at, look at Brian. He's the most humble guy around. Like no one's more humble than him, you know? Uh, but here, according to our good friend Dane, okay, I know I keep calling on this guy, but it's a, it's a really good book. Check it out. Um, humble means more of this, being thrust downward by life, okay? Being thrust downward, like, you know, like if somebody like pushes you down, that's life. You know, bam, you know, there you go, on the ground. So that's what it means, being thrusted downward by life. If anyone was thrusted downward by life, like, yo, it was Jesus, right? Jesus went through some hard stuff. Jesus was described in Isaiah 53 as not having any external features or beauty that would attract or draw people to him. You know, like, yeah. Um, he was foretold to have appeared more as a servant than a king, he was prophesied, Jesus was prophesied to be well acquainted with grief and with suffering, the things that we experience. And so from, he was so familiar with that that he was forced to die a torturous death on a cross. Basically, Jesus looked like an average Joe or a beau. And he didn't sound like a pretty impressive sounding guy at face value apart from some of his claims teachings and miracles. He wasn't really well-liked, and we see this in scripture. He wasn't well-liked by the people who thought that they were all that, you know? Um, and Jesus, wasn't, Jesus was always passionate about doing life with the socially unimpressive, right? Not the people who were the life of the party, who were super cool, the Pharisees, you know, chilling, chilling with them, being like, oh man, look at us, we know everything, you know? But he was with the people that were sick, and the people that were lame, the people that were not looked highly upon, and the people that followed Jesus did so because they loved how Jesus could meet them where they're at. And Jesus meets us where we're at as well. Jesus is real with us. Jesus, who as God humbly submitted himself to become human and die for our sins, he did so not just because he had to, he chose to. He chose to go through his life for us, for you, and for me. So when Jesus describes himself here as gentle and lowly, the point he's trying to make is that as God, he made himself more accessible to us than any friend could ever be. He literally took on the form of us to be accessible with us, right? And he's made himself more accessible to us and invited us to experience friendship with God. And all we have to bring to our, to our friendship with God is our sin. That's all we have to offer is our sin, our labor, our attempts at working hard to smooth out our lives, to make things easy, and to save ourselves, even though we can't, and our heavy burdens, the weights that we carry on our shoulders and in our hearts and in our minds that we just can't carry anymore. That's all that we are asked to bring in our friendship with Jesus. And Jesus' free gift to his friends, guys, as we've been talking about in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, let's get that back up really quick. It, it, really, it literally says, our, his gift to us is rest for our souls. 
right? That's, that's the gift that we get for his closest friends. We have, a gift is free, right? We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. It is a free gift for us. And I don't know what you know about Jesus or how you see him right now, but right here, Jesus tells us that he is loving and that he will meet us where we're at in life. He's inviting us into his presence and he understands us. He understands what you're going through. And when we dig into the truth of scripture, we can get an amazing picture of the friend that we have in Jesus. And the reason that we can is because the disciples who were Jesus' closest friends, like they're, they're reporting all of this stuff. They're reporting like what, what do they see as Jesus, their friend? And we can't rely on only trying to understand Jesus by looking at people on this earth. I just wanna just go ahead and make that clear, okay? We can see Jesus reflected in people, but if we solely rely on people to be the only way that we will understand Jesus, we will be let down time and time again, right? We will continue to have misconceptions of the character of God that come from broken expectations that people can never fulfill. Your friends will let you down. People will let you down over time. People are not God. And the best way to grow in friendship with someone is to get to know them, right? And so for growing with Jesus, this could look like talking to him and in prayer and seeking to get to know him by spending time in the word. Like literally God's word, scripture, is, is God made flesh, right? This is how John describes him. The word is flesh. And so for example, when we spend time in the word getting to know God as a father, just a side note, let's, tr- let's trace this rabbit really quick. When we get to know God as a father and we're reading the story of the prodigal son, our response to repent and come back to God after we sin goes from this sad and worried sense of, oh man, I wonder what dad is gonna do when he hears about this, when he hears about when I messed up. And it keeps us stuck and isolated in shame. And it turns into, when we, when we get to know God as our father, it turns into, man, I just said, I gotta go and tell dad about this. And dad, I know, is gonna welcome me, right? Dad will forgive me. You see the difference here? So how much more can we experience what a true transformational friendship with Jesus looks like when we spend time with him? We can go from believing that we're, un, that we're alone, that we're unloved without a friend, to knowing that Jesus is always inviting us to a loving relationship with him. And Jesus isn't like what the world says and what the people who let us down were or what our doubts say, but Jesus is gentle and lowly. We're always re- invited to a loving relationship with him because he's not, Jesus, guys, he's not scared by your sin. He's not scared by my sin. He's not scared by your anxieties, by your mental health struggles, by your insecurities, by your doubts, by your failures. Those never changes, those, those never change Jesus' heart towards you at all. It doesn't make him disgusted with you when you sin. In fact, he loves to reach out and to hold you and to touch the people that sin and suffer. We see this in the Bible. We're invited to friendship with Jesus. All of us in this room are, whether we want it or not. And Jesus, who is not what the world says or people who let us down, Jesus is gentle and lowly and offering us true rest. We have a friend in Jesus. And guys, Jesus' heart here, the reason that we're unpacking this is because we really see that Jesus' heart is invitational in nature. And because of that, why we're unpacking this is because he calls us all, everyone here, into friendship with him. 
Now, don't get me wrong. To some people, this image of Jesus that I've been talking about, of gentle and lowly, can come across as like Jesus is this guy that's all about like love and sunshine and rainbows. He like smiles all the time and like holds cute baby lambs and like, you know, loves on them and stuff. And to some people, Jesus's words in Matthew 11 make people think that like Jesus is this guy that is like, oh man, you know, life is easy. Life is chill. Everything's fine, you know? But like Jesus promises us, like I preached about last time, that this world is going to be full of toil, labor, and trouble. But like Jesus, as, as I said last time, you know, Jesus has overcome this world. And this soft Jesus that people talk about is not the same as what Jesus means when he says gentle and lowly. Like soft Jesus does not equal gentle and lowly Jesus. Like let's, let's get that clear right here. So throughout scripture we see that Jesus, in fact, he has a righteous anger towards sin and those who are prideful trying to save themselves. Like the man literally like flips tables and drives people away with a whip for crying out loud. Like he does this in the Bible. I'm not making this stuff up, right? But for those who humbly realize that they can't save themselves and for those who repent of their sins, who turn away from their sins, Jesus' heart is seen as invitational and welcoming them and forgiving repentant sinners. He forgives us when we turn away from our sins and turn towards him. And guys, we have a lot to learn from scripture about Jesus as our friend and a lot of lies and misconceptions about him that we need to clear up with truth about who he is. And I'm saying this to me just as much as I'm saying it to y'all because I don't get it 100% right. But what I know is that if I'm not surrounded and filled with truth, I'm gonna be more open to believe in the lies and the things that the world is gonna tell me, the things that TikTok is going to tell me and Snapchat. Um, knowing the heart of Jesus and growing friendship with him, it's, it's vital because at the end of the day, we're going to need to have an answer to a couple questions that Jesus asked his disciples 2,000 years ago and it still echoes for us to answer 2,000 years later. And we see this, this is in Mark chapter eight, verse 27 through 30. Um, if you're following along, just flip there. And we see, we see Jesus ask these two questions to his disciples and I'll go ahead and read what's happening here. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea and Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And then he asked them, this is Jesus asking them, but who do you Say that I am. And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And Jesus strictly charged them to tell no one about it. Did you catch it? Did you see it? Did you see the two questions that Jesus asked the disciples that Peter answered? Question number one was this, who do people say that I am? And question number two was this, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And in the first question, Jesus wants the disciples to reflect on the wild things other people may believe about who Jesus is, because some people believe some wild things, right? Peter says that the others compare him to the prophets, and the other disciples, when, when they were asked the question, they remained silent. And as I was, you know, thinking about this, writing this, I was thinking, like, you know, what, what were the disciples thinking? Like, they didn't say anything. Peter did, because Peter, you know, um, but, like, what were they thinking? Why didn't they speak up? Were they wrestling with some things inside on on what they believed Jesus to be? They didn't give an answer. And people are gonna give some various answers as to like, you know, who Jesus is depending on their belief. Like some people will give the, the, 
you know, the basic answer of like, uh, I, I don't know, like a guy from history, I guess. Like, sounds like a cool dude. Sounds like he did some cool things, but like, I don't know, not for me, man. Not my vibe, you know? Or they'll give the academic answer. So one of my friends, Wikipedia, said, uh, Jesus, also called Jesus Christ, Jesus of Galilee, uh, or Jesus of Nazareth, born circa 64 BCE, Bethlehem. Okay, it just gets very boring academic answer. Okay, anyways. Or they'll give you like a theological answer, which is good, right? There could be some good stuff in here getting into scripture, but there's going to be a point I'm going to make. But here's one theological answer we should know. When somebody asks us who Jesus is, this should be like on the background of our minds. So this is Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. I'm going to just speak this because this is some pretty good stuff. At least I think so. Maybe I'm just nerding out here. But um, it says this, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is at the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Big word. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And that sounds like a lot of words. That could sound like, like to some people, that's like, wow, I get it, man. Well, I get, wow, it, it clicks. And some of y'all, you're like, oh man, my brain is fried. What in the world did this man just say? You know? And, and it sounds cool, right? The academic answer and the theological answer are cool. They're good stuff and they could be accurate, but we can say all that without intentionally getting to know the heart of Jesus. Let that sink in for a second. We can say all that without getting to know the heart of Jesus. We may even miss Jesus sometimes in our pursuit to sound so theologically eloquent or feel like we have all the answers in our faith. So what I think Jesus is doing here when he asks the first question, I think it's not only to draw a distinction between like what his disciples who are his closest friends believe and what the world believes, but I think he's also given an opportunity for the disciples to be like, hey, reflect and see, like, do you have these false beliefs um, as you're getting to know me as a close friend, do you also have these beliefs? And so Jesus goes on, and he asks a more deeper, oh, sorry, wow, more deeper, a more deep, and uh, just a more personal question, right? Grammar, interesting things. Um, and, and this question, guys, it's so important that it not only, the, the answer to it, it not only determines their eternal destiny, but it determines my eternal destiny, and it determines your guys' eternity as well. So Jesus, not satisfied with the view of him that came in the answer in the first question, Jesus asked the second question by saying, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, being Peter, breaks the awkward silence and says, you are the Christ. And Jesus asked the disciples to give an evaluation of their hearts as to who Jesus is. Jesus asked them to give an evaluation of what do you know about my heart? And the disciples, they're silent, except for Peter, of course, but we learned something here. And here's what I want to touch on, because even when Peter answered that, he answered the question and said, you're the Christ. I believe in you. You're my best friend. I love you, Jesus. Wow. You know, he shows that his destiny is eternally secured, but in the next, wow, in the next few verses, Peter ends up telling his best friend Jesus, even though he knows Jesus is God, he, he understands that, he tells his best friend Jesus, surely you can't go through all that suffering 
that you just said you're going to go through. Surely you can't do that to save us. What? Like, no, don't do that. Don't do that. And, and Jesus tells one of his closest friends, which we don't talk to our close friends like this, but Jesus tells one of his closest friends when Peter's trying to deny him from going to the cross, Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Get be-. Like, we don't talk to our friends like that. I mean, at least I hope not. But like, what a real friendship that they had that he could say that to him. And Jesus knew, obviously, the will of God because he was God, right? Peter, like us, had a lot of growing to do in his friendship with Jesus, we, we all do. We all have growing to do, whether that means we're just starting one or whether that means we're still in one. And Jesus asked this question to us today because even though Jesus doesn't need our confession, he desires it because his heart is gentle and lowly with us. And he truly desires us. He truly desires friendship with us. He wants to be our friend. Jesus wants relationship with us as our Lord to be seen as both the Christ and a friend. And at one point, and here's where I really want you all to lock in because this is the crucial stuff that we got to realize. At one point, we're all going to have to answer this question. Who do you say I am? Jesus is asking us that. And we're all going to have to give an account of our, of our lives. And regardless, in Philippians it says this, every knee will bow to Jesus. Regardless of our confession. And some of us right now, like taking that in, we need to have a big reality check. Um, some of y'all think like you're super tight with Jesus, you know, like you, you're like besties for the resties, like you and Jesus for life. You got the friendship bracelets, like, you know, you're, you're set, right? And so if that's you, you know, gold star, like there, there you go. Good job. Um, but for others, we may need to get real and think, man, have I really been a good friend to Jesus? Have I really spent time with Jesus? Or do I really know him or do I just say I do because I'm around my Christian friends? Do I really believe in the gospel that Jesus came to earth, died for my sins and rose again so I can experience an eternal friendship with God here on earth and into eternity? Do I even desire to get to know him? Better yet, do I even love him? Because it would show. And the reality is that you and I have been pretty bad friends to Jesus not really wanting to get to know him. But Jesus, showing us grace, has always been a faithful friend, even when we're unfaithful. Even when we're the worst friends, Jesus is our best friend. And Jesus says this, this is gonna be a scripture I'm gonna start to close with, and this is Matthew chapter seven, verse 21 through 23. This is what Jesus says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Did we not serve on the sound booth team? Did we not do this and this and this? Did we not do all these things for you? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Guys, Jesus makes it really clear here that his desire, Jesus' real desire, is to know us and for us to be known by him. At the end of the day, I want you all to understand this, at the end of the day, nothing else matters. Not your followers, not your likes, whoa, not your likes, not the clothes that you wear, 
Not your family, not your friends, not your sport, not your activity, not your good works, not your straps, not, straps, not your snap streaks. Boom, made a new word. Snap streaks, um, not your snap score, not your KD ratio and earnings in Fortnite, although that is cool. Not your PRs, not your squat, not how much you can squat or bench, not how well you do in school or in band or in drama, not any of that. All that matters at the end of the day is did you really know Jesus? Let that sink in. Do you really know Jesus? The thing is, guys, as our friend and savior, all Jesus wants is for us to get to know him while having us know that he already fully knows us and loves us more than you can already imagine, even if you don't feel it. And in this season where I feel I don't have Christian friends my age, I'm leaning more on Jesus as a friend than I ever have as I reflect on his gentle and lowly heart, knowing that he's the best, best friend I could have ever asked for. My bottom line for tonight is this. Get to really know the gentle and lowly heart of Jesus, who's not only your savior, he's your friend. He wants to be your friend, and you'll always be your friend no matter what. And as you get to know him, Think about these three questions. Who is Jesus? Who does scripture say that Jesus is? Who is Jesus really to you? Who is he to you? And the last question, and as we pray, I really want you to think about this, and after we can talk about this. Do you believe in Jesus? And that he's gentle and lovely.